Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the same. A truly extraordinary feature of the bike is that, like the very greatest teacher, it encourages you to find the answers from somewhere deep down inside yourself and not merely taking them from someone else. When I began my adventure into myself on my bike, I did not need to be told that I had to eat more of the right kind of food. I just knew I had to do it or else my legs would not work. I'd never listened to or cared about those long, terrifying lectures about the evils of smoking, complete with coloured slides and blackened lungs. But I did know, after some time in the saddle, that I just had to give up cigarettes. I did not need an expensive psychiatrist to tell me why I was depressed since after a brisk ride I was depressed no more. Good morning. You're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show on 3CR, and I'm Faith. Val and I are on summer holidays at the moment, so today won't be one of our usual live-to-air broadcasts. We've decided to play some of our favourite interviews from the past. Today we're going to feature Kat Carter, a physiotherapist and cyclist who specialises in treating cyclists. Kat has an amazing depth of knowledge about what happens when you're sitting and moving on a bicycle. The first time she came into the studio was to talk all about bike fit and she was practically stormed on the way out by staff and volunteers who wanted to chat to her. We kicked off this first interview with an incredibly broad question about what happens when you're sitting on a bike, which Kat very cleverly managed to narrow down. Wow, it's a a big question and... Everyone sits on their bike differently and every, every bike that people choose to ride is different. So there's not one answer for um, that fits all, basically. So, so is that where we talk about bike fit? Absolutely. Individual yeah. bike fit. Individual bike fit and considering it, what you want to achieve out of your cycling, what your goals are, basically. It's really important. It's about the individual. Yeah. And so if someone... Um, 
I guess, well, let's start at the beginning. What does happen when you sit on your bike? Well, there's three points of contact with the bike. Everyone straight away relates immediately to the saddle. You, you feel that <laughs> under your pelvis for sure. Um, and then there's the other two contact points, which are our hands and our wrists and our feet. And we power that bike through those three small points of contact. Um, and it's about where we are over those that yeah. result in a, a good good fit. So it's a combination of the geometry of the bike yeah, so the geometry of the bike, is it the right size as mm-hmm. well? And then any limitations that your body may or may not have and also your body's um, preference, I guess, for certain muscle activation patterns. Some okay. of us are wired to use our quads more than our glutes. It's everyone, all, Most cyclists have heard about their glutes. <laughs> um, and it's about addressing all those okay. things as well. And so... Um, what, yeah, it's one of those things because you often see as soon as someone asks on, let's say, Facebook, what um, for advice, everyone has an opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a really highly opinionated thing. Unfortunately, the science around bike fit is not as strong as we would like it to be. It's really difficult to have a randomized control trial looking at the impact of different fits on, on an individual. They've in, in terms of the pro riders, they have ridden thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in a position. You change that potentially for the better in terms of their individual needs. However, they've done all those hours of motor programming in that other position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really complicated in terms of good design, study design. And there'd be a big difference um, between what's going to suit... Someone who's trained to sit on a bike for hours and hours every day and you, who's probably sitting at a desk but then wants to go out and... uh... Yeah, there's a massive difference. So the strength that a pro develops, for example, using that as the example, is um, so different to people who are sitting at a desk with shortened hip flexors all day long and get on their bike for that lovely, hopefully, hour a day to enjoy the world around them. It's very different. Yeah. So what's the best way for someone to uh, approach a bike fit? Um, to go into the fit armed with having already considered what they want. So, And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is knowing what do they want to achieve from that fit in terms of, okay, I want to be able to ride my bike for an hour a day and never get off sore. Or I want to be able to go faster. Mm-hmm. Or I want to be able to feel more confident handling my bike. Or ride the stadium and then the pick goes. Yes. <laughs> or, <do. laughs> yeah. or get a, get up the Gertrude Street. Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. Go in with go in with their goal that's meaningful to them, and be and then be able to um, go through an assessment, um, looking at any limitations their body may have or, or hopefully doesn't have. And then work through different options on the bike in that studio. Can we, so if we break it down to, I mean, obviously road riders, endurance, I'm not going to say endurance riders, but somebody who rides a road bike as against somebody who, like I said, commutes five kilometres a day up Gertrude Street or somebody is on a mountain bike. They're all subtly different fits, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. So the needs of a commuter, they, they, often need to be a little bit more upright to be more aware of their surroundings. They've got a lot more unpredictable things happening around them and they need to have really good range of movement through the neck and um, sh- around the shoulders to yeah. constantly be looking around. Where if you're racing, 
yeah, you want to know where your opponents are. We can do a quick dive under your, your armpit to see where they are, and it's a bit more predictable. Yeah. So it's quite different. The road fit is. The road fit, yeah. yeah, yeah and then absolutely. within the road fit, we've got the time trial fit yes. as well, which is different as well. Yeah, so that's when you start to move away from efficiency and more into aerodynamics as the priority because we're always trying uh, to look at comfort, efficiency and aerodynamics and find this optimum fit. In time trial, you actually start to go, well, I don't care how comfortable. Not that we don't <laughs> care, but yeah. we, we, we start to look at, at aero. And that's why time trials are getting progressively shorter, shorter and, and shorter. shorter in Grand Tours. It's interesting. They, are, they don't have yeah. the 90 kilometre time trials anymore. Yeah. It's 15, 26, 30. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We should get off those aero topics. <laughs> yeah. So let's um, then look at what happens if your bike doesn't fit well. What are the injuries um, that people are going – or the – not necessarily injuries, but the, the pain or discomfort yeah. that people can identify as being linked to their bike fit. So it's really interesting looking at this. Um, I like to split it into novice riders and advanced riders because it is quite different in those two population groups. Novice riders tend to have um, obviously some saddle discomfort issues and also a lot happening through the wrists and up into the shoulders. Advanced riders, however, it's a much more um, fixed area around the knee, so the knee, and they actually even split that into anterior knee and posterior knee as separate things, and they both have a higher prevalence than low back pain. In those advanced riders, there is no risk even mentioned. Yeah, is yeah. It, and that's because they're, they're still and holding themselves well on the bike? Or? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. They've trained themselves to be able to tolerate load and accept load for longer. Mm-hmm. There's more stability around the shoulder girdle as they have trained the weight-bearing capacity yeah. through the upper limb. Mm. Yeah. Somebody said to me a long time ago, think of two wa- ways of riding a bicycle. Your body just draped over it, virtually your bones holding your body up and then pedalling the bicycle. Think of the other way of actually my body's holding my bones together and I'm riding the bike. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I guess uh, what are the most common injuries you see coming in? Um, like? I'd, I'd say that what I see reflects what we see in that novice and advanced population mm-hmm. in the riders that I'm working with that are riding really regularly and even doing the ra- the occasional race or racing on a regular basis. It's definitely... Mm-hmm that anterior knee pain and low back pain. Yeah. And in the novice riders, it's often, oh, my neck hurts and, oh, my bars are so hard. And um, they mention the saddle, but it's not usually their primary reason for being there, but it will be, oh, yeah, and if I ride for six hours, <laughs> my body yeah. gets all, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, – and I guess that becomes a thing because normally you, you might think you're going to see someone to fix that problem – but as long as you don't go looking at why you're, what's caused it, you, you, it's going to be reoccurring for Absolutely. You. So some people can come in and say, oh, I've got this, um, I've got a sore lower back when I'm riding. And obviously they're then paying attention to their back and the fact that it hurts. And they can tell me all about the type of pain that it feels like. It's all very helpful information. And I can look at somebody off the bike and start to get some clues as to why they've got a sore back. And then when we're working on the bike, it's often, well, the reason your back hurts is because your hip can't flex far enough and Mm -hmm. everything becomes about reworking their fit around opening that hip joint up to stop them going to that limited range. 
and they're like, but it's about my back. Yeah. And then it's about making sure I share and educate that, well, the reason this is, a, you know, our body works as a chain of events and this is this is why your back is sore. Yeah, yeah. How do yeah. we tighten up our hip flexors? How do we tighten them up? Oh, well. I, I know you want them loose, but how, yeah. do, how do we get to a tight spot? Um, well, looking at us uh, across our daily life, we spend a lot of time sitting in a shortened yeah. hip flexor position. And then there's also um, a bit of a myth floating around that you might have heard that some people say, oh, yeah, to get a bit of extra speed, pull up on the pedal. Do not pull up on the pedal. You will, you will increase your likelihood of knee and back pain due to tight hip flexors. In the uh, mid-70s, there was a craze going around called ankling and oh, the idea yeah. that you actually mm. twist your ankle yeah. to get more power out of the pedals. Of course, everybody started to blow their Achilles tendons. So. Absolutely. Yes, but that lasted for, it's, I can still hear people yeah. advocating it now. They still, they still refer to ankling. They're now talking yeah. about more of a very small range of movement, talking about more like the five degree. Yeah. And we've also gone the other way. There's an example of a, a British cyclist who actually has a completely rigid <laughs> ankle, and that's Brad Wiggins. I mean, you look yeah, at him yeah, on the yeah. bike and yeah. there is not any movement through that ankle, and it works for him. Yeah. And that's another issue isn't it like people look at especially what pro cyclists are doing and they go oh that would be a great idea for me yeah because you know i sit at a desk five days a week and but when i go out on saturday with my mates absolutely so yeah that leads to and even with bike fit too they probably look at the way people are sitting yeah they they do and and some of some of the pro peloton are very good at sharing um you know their often wacky bike fits it's what works for them and It's it's in, really important that we remember it's about what works for us. Yep. Yeah, and so I guess that's also um, the with bike fit. It's not a static thing, is it? No. Um, so we do a component of some static assessment, but it's all about the dynamic assessment. Yeah. And then further than that, it's not once you've been fit, that's it. That's it. It's a, an evolving thing. Our bodies change with time. Our bodies change with our training or just, you know, our, our riding. So it's something we should revisit annually and with every new bike purchase. New bikes. Even yeah. if you think the geometry is the same, it's not. <laughs> Kat, I wonder if we can get a couple of stretches off you that actually most cyclists <clears throat> would benefit from. Oh, yeah. Well, we've mentioned hip flexors already. So, yes, so how do I? Yep. Yep. So hip flexors would be one of the most valuable stretches. How do I do that? So you would come into... Um, well, it's really great to have a chair, actually. So if you yep. stand with your back to a chair, yep. place the shin on the chair, and you want to be placing this chair so that you can also hold something in front of you. Uh-huh. And you're then just going to slide. So I'm, I'm assuming we've got a chair on wheels. Yep. We're then sliding that chair away from us, and we're lunging. So the front knee is bending, uh-huh. and we're taking that chair further away from us um, behind Mm-hmm. So that results in a really nice elongation stretch of the hip flexor. Hold the stretch for how long? That's there's the, the research is mixed on that. Um, yep. We're wanting to make sure we we achieve a nice lengthened position. Um, we're not wanting to overstretch. That can result in some changes to the tissue that aren't always ideal. So we're looking at fifteen to twenty seconds. Gone are the days of the two-minute stretch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Next one, one more. Um, the calf. The so calf, yes. given that we are aiming to keep that ankle relatively rigid, yep. um, the calf can really get quite overloaded. So 
um, a lot of people have seen the stretch where you face the wall, pointing both we're in a split stance, so one foot's in front of the other, ensuring yep. both toes are pointing directly at the wall. Do not let the back foot turn out. That's the error I see all the time. And it's keeping that back knee straight and feeling a lovely stretch right from down near the Achilles up towards the back of the knee. And a couple of repetitions. Yeah, if with that one, probably two repetitions of, on each side. And you can also manipulate that stretch by bending the, the stretching side because we have two primary drivers in that calf and one crosses the knee and one doesn't. And pre-ride and post-ride. The, um, the literature actually shows post-ride is the most effective for injury prevention and pre-ride we should be really looking at core body temperature elevation. So getting the blood pumping, increasing the respiratory rate and then that stretching is actually meant is post-activity. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. And so if someone's really interested in finding out a bit more about bike fit or comfort on the bicycle is there a good resource for them or are they just going to have to find the right practitioner for them um it's it's really difficult it's a highly opinionated field um there's masses of conflict in what some people believe is the right thing there are a couple of good websites which you'll have to search around but also pick and choose which information you take from those i'd really certainly recommend finding a practitioner that works for you they talk they're able to relate to you. They're able to listen um, and go from there. And I guess if you get a recommendation, one way to filter them is to ask yourself, is the person recommending this riding the way I ride or doing the same sort of thing as me or you know, are we very different and going to be looking for different priorities like you spoke about? Definitely. There's there's different types of feeders, hopefully we've touched on really lightly. And if the person telling you, oh, you've got to go see this individual because they were amazing for me and, and you ride your beautiful 5K commute every day that just makes your day <laughs> and that individual completes ultra-endurance riding, you don't have the same needs. No. No. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for that. Oh. No, I feel better already. <laughs> 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Vacro Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. To find out more, Google Vacro or drop in to the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. And you're back listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show. This is one of our summer specials. It's not a live show, but we're presenting some of our favourite interviews from the past. Next is our second interview with Kat Carter, where we asked her what happens when you jump on your bike and you haven't been riding for a while. This could be a great one to listen to if you've just made all your New Year's resolutions and they involve a lot of cycling. Sadly, our body deconditions quite quickly when we haven't been, uh, I guess, performing the same activity patterns that we've become accustomed to over the, the lovely warmer months when we've been on the bike quite consistently. Um that deconditioning happens really, really quick. So it's, it sounds really, really bad, but actually you can recondition really quickly as well. So if you were to jump back on your bike and let's just say smash out a 50K really fast um, after, say, four, even six weeks off the bike, you are going to have 
muscle soreness, you're going to have some pretty intense fatigue and sadly risking um, injury as well. But you can do some really good things to prevent that from happening. So just taking on board that your 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 flexibility may have changed. So you just need to be wary of the time in the posture on the bike. And then the cells within the tissues just aren't as tolerant. So if you get on your bike after just giving a bit of a dust off <laughs> and run your errands, um, go for a spin around the neighborhood, do your errands on the bike um, on day one and give your body 24 to 48 hours recovery and then repeat that, you've given your cells a chance to go, oh, that's right, that's that thing called the bike and I love it. You've given your muscles a chance to hang out in the lengths that they need to be on the bike and then you have that adaptation take place and you can then increase quite safely and do more and more on the bike. A moderate start to early spring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so I guess uh, is it we often like people often say they're going to start training for something and is it always going to have to be bike specific stuff that will get you ready for that position? Or that's a really good question. So when we look at training or exposure is another word that some people use. Um, we we definitely have to consider specificity. So our our muscles, our tissues, um, everything is. Um, specific to what you have done but that's not to say you can't do something that's going to benefit you off the bike so when we look at say strength training for example the the joint range of um, position that you do that loading in you actually get benefits to five degrees beyond where you have been so if you've let's pretend you've strengthened at 90 degrees of knee flexion you actually get benefits down to 85 and up to 95 so that means you can do an activity on land that is mm-hmm. similar in joint range that you would be on the bike uh, yeah. and it will help you on the bike as well. It doesn't have to be perfect. Obviously, the closer the better, but yeah. it can be varied. And aerobic activity is going to help you on the bike anyway. Yeah. So thinking about your oxygen utilisation and efficiency, that's going to be beneficial. So walking, jogging, rowing cross trainer whatever you feel like really is going to help you but the best thing for the bike is the bike if we start slowly i'm not going to say we've spent winter eating mcdonald's i'm <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> any trade names on the show should i not looking after yourself which used to be quite normal for athletes or people who are aware of their health fitness i'm back on the bike i'm doing a little bit by little bit how many weeks do i start to get that adaptation Oh, it's really quick. Um, so one one training load, you'll, yep. you'll start to adapt to. So that's why I said before the 24 to 48 hours, like yep. that is how quick you start to adapt. But for you to see that adaptation, it probably is a couple of weeks. And for physiological, say, strength differences, because your muscles have lost their strength over that period of rest and uh, lounging about, it's actually a six-week change. But a lot of people feel differences at 10 days, and that's where the neural like the neural patterning is re- has improved again. So the uh, connection from the brain to the muscle improves in 10 days, but the muscle cells themselves at six weeks. So I've come off the lows. Let's say I'm a, let's say I'm 35 again and quite, you know, mediumly fit and, but not too outrageous. My muscles are starting to get better at say 10 weeks. I'm feeling a lot better. 
how do I fight that euphoric feel that now I should go hard? And well, race that crit. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, well, that's... You, Why fight it? I just do it. You're saying do it? Well, if you've had... Oh, so, oh, so sorry. You've had 10 weeks rest, not no, 10 no, weeks no. training. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm, I'm starting to feel how much better I am from uh, four weeks on the bike. Yeah. I feel quite... You know, I feel very much better. Some Do we, we overstep at the next step a little bit sometimes? Oh, of course. And... Um, I guess it comes down to a balancing act between what your brain's saying, what your body is saying, and it's a compromise. So yeah. if you're feeling really edgy and you really want to race that crit, well, how about you enter the crit, but maybe pull out part way. Like, so enter on the basis, hey, I'm not going to actually be a contender for the sprint yeah. finish, so I'm going to race, have an absolute ball, get all those endorphins, and pull out four laps from the from the And belt. not get tensed up about achieving yeah, a result and, or anything. and not be fatigued and make a bad decision in that um, end point under those fatigue loads where unfortunately in a crit fatigue can uh, lead to some crashes. So my muscles are getting stronger and more flexible. How long am I? How long does it take my sinews and the connecting tissue to actually start to adapt? Uh, well, tendons um, love tensile load. They and they hate compressive load. I shouldn't say hate. They're not as tolerant to compressive <laughs> load. Um, so they they take. They take some time. So if a tendon actually does become a grumbling tendon, um, it can take 12 weeks to reverse that grumbliness. If it has never been grumbly, though, and you are just wanting to build it, then I would treat it very similar to the muscle that it's connected to because the muscle is the tendon is connecting the muscle to the bone. So that's a part of a unit. Yep. So the same rules would, would generally apply in terms of that six weeks for that actual physiological change. Am I right to think that my heart muscle tissue actually starts to improve from the first session? Um, heart is muscle, absolutely, and it's a slightly different type of muscle. It's a very special muscle. Um, its tissue response will also start to change immediately, but those longer-term changes that we really want to see in the endurance activities do take quite a bit of time, and that's more related to the oxygen efficiency and utilisation of our entire body. So not only breathing that oxygen in, getting it across into the blood and then into the tissue. That's obviously vastly, uh, the heart is a vast influencer on that, but um, there's, it's a very complicated system and it, it does, you know, load will improve it, yeah. but you also need to give the heart recovery. Yeah. Because so, that's one of the big improvers in two weeks, actually, that actually yeah. people feel mm. cardiovascularly yeah. so much better. They can breathe again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that tattooed on my right wrist. <laughs> and uh, so I guess then the advice for someone who is thinking about, okay, I'm going to start riding to work and I haven't done it for a while, is to maybe start going every second day or doing your errands instead or... Absolutely. I would recommend doing the local errands first so mm -hmm. you get that feeling of being in that position because some commutes are, you know, 10, 12, <clears throat> 15 kilometres, so you want to just do a quick little spin, um, nice and local, be on the bike, check that you've still got that flexibility to be safe on the bike as well, um, and then looking at every second day. And something that I also say to some clients is ride one, providing you've got really fantastic safe bike storage, ride one way mm. and 
public transport at home, home and yep. then reverse yeah. it the following yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great tip. Uh, as long as you can put up with the tram ride. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of calls from people. Here's my bike ready. If I have to get on that tram yeah. one more time, I'm going to go. You'll probably crazy. get sick and uh, put your yeah. training back Someone to. Someone did call it a germ bus this week. Yeah. So. yeah. So, and just to finish up, Kat, I'm curious. Um, in your uh, studio, what do you see coming in at this time of year? The most common at this time of year is load-related, so people have got really excited as the weather's fined up. So I've seen quite a few sort of um, like Achilles overload issues, so that's looking at that tendon not being quite Uh, ready, and it's a massive tendon, so it's um, very – it's so important. And the other issue has been some knee, like some patella tracking problems, and that's not a – thankfully, it's not a structural injury – um, it's related to muscle balance. And so that's that deconditioning and we you lose the coordination that's required for really good patella control around the knee and then you jump back on the bike and it's knee flexion, knee extension, knee flexion, knee extension <laughs> and a bit of patella compression and it gets cranky. Both conditions are really treatable and are also quite preventable. And so the, the clients that have presented like this have done something slightly silly mm-hmm. Um but not always, but yep. the last last few weeks, definitely. Cool. Just explain that the patella actually moved is not in the right spot. Yeah, so the patella sits in a groove on the fem- uh, the base of the femur, and um, it normally couples up beautifully. But the patella is controlled greatly by the quadricep muscle group in terms of where it sits, where it sits yeah. in terms of tension through those muscles, and the vastus lateralis, the outside quadricep massive powerhouse, um, it can pull the patella ever so mildly laterally in that groove. And I've got you. Delicate. Yes, <laughs> systems. Systems. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as the ghost in the machine. You've been listening to the Arabug Radio Show on 3CR. 3CR relies on the support of its listeners to stay on the air. If you'd like to subscribe or make a donation, you can do so at 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.